Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host, Sam Davies, and I'm excited to kick this year off with another great conversation I had at Pause Fest last year, 2019 Pause Fest. We're actually racing towards the 2020 Pause Fest. I can't believe it's 2020. Wow, we really are living in the future. And my guest on today's episode lives in a hopefully where we want to go in the future. Laura Ryan is the studio and strategy director at Mentally Friendly. She calls herself a designer, even though she can't draw, but she works in an exciting design and innovation studio with a human-centered approach. We had a long talk about well-being in the workplace um, and about design and what design means in the modern world and the, the thought that designers have a responsibility when it comes to marrying profit with empathy and ensuring that what we produce as designers doesn't cause distress or concern to, to users. We talk a lot internally here at Digital Noir about design impacting and influencing everything we do. People often think of design as just being what a graphic designer does or what a visual communicator does, but every object you look at, every product we use, every service uh, has been designed. Everything has been designed. Um, so it was a really fitting podcast for Humans Aren't Robots as we delved into what it means to be a designer and a, and a human in 2019, now 2020. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this one. And uh, I'll jump back afterwards and give you a bit of an update on Pause Fest as it is literally about five weeks away, four weeks away. Wow, that has come up fast. We are excited. So without further ado, let's jump in with Laura Ryan from Mentally Friendly. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Digital Noir Presents live from Pause Fest 2019. I've got Laura Ryan with me here, uh, Strategy Director at Mentally Friendly. How are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. How did your talk go? Live to tell the tale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was great fun. I've really enjoyed coming to Pause Fest today. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Is it your first time here? or First time at Pause Fest, yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. Yep. Um, we've actually been, this is the fourth or fifth, fifth year actually, I think we've been coming, so been able to sort of see it grow, but it's, it's a really great event, I think. It has... Um, I like that it touches on lots of different facets, I suppose, of, of, the, of the industry and, and culture as well. Yeah, I feel, um, I mean, I'll definitely be coming back. I've um, had the pleasure of watching a couple of talks this morning and they've been super inspiring. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear what else is on the cards and feel really privileged to be invited to take part in the day. One of the things that always struck me, when you, and when I first started coming to these events, you sort of see the speakers up on stage and, and it always is so in, inspirational. You, you sort of don't think that, you come in as a keynote are also wanting to go and see other people so um it's you know it's, it's really great to see some of your colleagues and peers um you know, talking about some really interesting things yeah absolutely cool so um i'm really interested i suppose the field that 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 you look at um what does well-being mean to you oh well-being means a lot of different things to a lot of different people um which i assume is why you're asking the question um so you know, well-being for, for me and for the work that I do is about making sure that we can create outcomes for people that benefit their well-being, like mindfully, like their mind might be physical. Um, it's about happiness as well. Um, so it's a, it's a complex concept, well-being, in that it, to some people it might mean yoga, you know, whereas what I'm talking about is yeah, look, might include yoga, but it's it's also like the 
the outcomes that are delivered as a result of a product or service, yeah. Because there's a lot of talk, I suppose, about you know, uh, GDP or growth or economic growth, not being able to measure sort of human happiness. And but I mean, how do you measure human happiness? Or how do you, you know, define or measure, quantify well-being, let's say in the workplace, which is sort of where you play? I mean, it's, it's quite a difficult thing to quantify, isn't it? It's so hard to do. And I suspect that's why we've been historically quite poor doing it. Um, I think, you know, the good news is that governments now are actually starting to, to take a stab at it. You know, I think it was only last week or in the, in the last couple of days that the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, she's now committed a, a wellbeing budget. Um, and they're actually quite sophisticated, New Zealand, when it comes to actually measuring um, and looking at the indicators of, of wellbeing outcomes. They've got like a whole dashboard that actually looks at um, the well-being of the country. Isn't that great? She's fantastic. Oh, I mean, she's legendary. I, I, yeah. I, I look over there with such envy at, at what they're doing, I suppose, as defining themselves as, you know, a, a small nation, but really, I think, taking those extra steps to, to do the things that I think often, not just Australians, but a lot of countries talk about. And that, I see that in business a lot. So, and it is changing, but let's go back five, ten years. Like, culture was this thing that, you know, maybe... You know, tech startups talked about, but then the bigger corporate world, it wasn't really, you know, talked about. And then it sort of came in as something that was top down and define, you know, okay, we need to define a culture. So let's bring in some experts and how do we force the culture onto our people? But that, mm. in my experience, that's, that's definitely not how culture grows. Mm, mm. Oh, definitely. I think like, you know, to, to your earlier point as well around like the measurement, like how, how do you actually measure the, the human value of the products and services or the policies that you're actually creating for people. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have a perfect answer to that, but I think where you actually need to begin is is understanding what are the indicators of the wellbeing outcome that you seek to deliver. So, you know, if, if the wellbeing outcome that you seek to deliver is, you know, to improve the um, mental health of Australians, as an example then the indicators around that could be things like resilience, confidence, um, you know, agency, these types of things. You'll never understand human value without talking to humans. And I think that's, a, that's probably um, another really big difference between the way that we currently measure progress and the way that we need to in the future. It's not just, it's not just the... Um, the financial measurement but it's the methodology as well like we've never t- to measure financial progress it's it's data it's numbers it's quite binary actually um, you don't need to speak to humans to get to get that understanding but to really understand well-being outcomes you have to do that it's costly to do that it takes more time it's less binary it's more open to interpretation um, and I expect that that's why well, I suspect that's why we haven't really done such a great job of it historically because it's difficult it right? is hard you know it's hard <laughs> the well-being economy is super complex yeah. you know but so are people like pe- people are complex you know you can't expect to reduce the progress of our society to GDP and and get the the insight or value that we seek to find and achieve. Yeah, sure. Going back to, I suppose, the, 
the, the more micro level. So like coming into a business, let's say, or you know, like a, it, it may be a new project or a new product or a new service that someone's offering, but we, we want to put a team around that and I suppose create a sense of well-being or I think empowerment's probably a, a nice word. And how, how do you go about, you know, one, giving the team the tools so that they can hopefully feel happy and, and empowered in their work and then, uh, yeah, I suppose quantify that on the, outs- on the other side. I think well-being in work comes from meaning. Mm. So if you do what is meaningful to you, then that will gift you a level of well-being that you wouldn't otherwise discover. Sure. Okay. So I'm really lucky because I have been able to, I am able to use my skills as a designer to deliver well-being outcomes probably on a, on a, on a smaller scale potentially than, than people who have skills in other areas but regardless that gives me well-being because I'm able to use my skills to, to deliver well-being to individuals and communities um, and that comes back to having meaning in my work. And you look at the and, I, and again I, think, I feel like a lot of the things the places where you place are around design thinking and human centered design and, and for purpose you know business and just for, for purpose in general um, you look at some of the statistics around people that are implementing that and from, a, from an economic not well-being but a traditional economic viewpoint those businesses are actually thriving so there is real um, parallels between you know using design thinking or applying design overall to you know to problems and to businesses and being I suppose a bit more creative around how we're actually facing problems whatever they might be um, and then that flowing through into well an empowered team that's happy and, and feels like they're actually doing work that they're passionate about or that they oh 100% you know there is profit in well-being hmm. 100% there is profit in well-being so biz- the sooner businesses are able to realise that by delivering wellbeing outcomes to their customers, mm. they can actually be more profitable doing that. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the two, you know, the, a mistake that's often made is this, this mode, or outdated mode of thinking that, you know, I, by being business-minded and entrepreneurial, that is in some way in conflict with, thinking empathetically and yeah. compassionately yeah, or ethics yeah. or et- you know yeah. like and actually those two things don't contradict one another they no. must they have to coexist yeah. yeah so you need to be empathetic and you need to be entrepreneurial you need to be both of those things um, to be successful I believe um, in delivering a well-being outcome I actually I mean outside of I suppose high level I don't know that much about you know the well-being economy in a sort of the essence of what you know that is but I think it's almost a redefining of what capitalism is because there is I suppose a historical viewpoint of capitalism of being sort of a top down you know make as you know make as much money at the at whatever costs but um, that's sort of not the world we live in today and as you know resources get more scarce and I suppose humans human value goes up globally then we need to look at it differently yeah it's it's interesting, you know, like, uh, I'm not an economist either, so, you know, it's, this is um, two people talking about something that, you know, we're sort of passionate about. Sure, sure. Um, but I, there are market mechanics at play. It's probably less about capitalism and more about acknowledging that we can use those market mechanics to our advantage um, and, and not think that, you know, making a profit is dirty, you know. You can be, you know, making a profit 
actually means that you have a sustainable business. And in order to provide wellbeing outcomes, the people that are best placed to do that are the sustainable businesses, right? Because if all you have is compassion and empathy, you are making promises to people that you cannot fulfill long term. And that is actually irresponsible and damaging. As bad as the opposite. It's as bad as the opposite. Yeah, that's right. Right? Mm. And the opposite, obviously, is I create a shit ton of products and services and I make a whole heap of coin, but I never positively impact people's lives. Both sides are dangerous if you are myopic enough to only focus on one of them. Definitely. Um, I've talked to... um Jim Antonopoulos. I don't know if you, if you come across him. Runs a design studio here in Melbourne. He's a, a B Corp. Um, oh, yeah, he talks yeah, a lot yes, about, I, do, I do know B Corp. Yeah, yes, so he talks yes. a lot about that. And you know, yeah, being a, a very much a you know value driven for purpose agency that you know is doing expensive work and going to take high value, you know, take take money from the clients so that you know they one they can do great work and and distribute that back through whatever they're trying to serve, but then to put it back into their community and. A hundred percent. You know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to earn money. Like you said it before, we are a capitalist society. You know, I have kids. I need to provide for them. You know, I, I work hard. Like that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's not dirty. What's, what I think is harder to abide is if you are mindlessly sort of creating things that intentionally or not, impact people's well-being in a negative way and I think the sooner we we are conscious about the and I'm talking very specifically now from the position of a designer um, you know recognize the impact that design can have on people's well-being you know the better we will be at designing products and services um one of the things I think that you'll come across a lot is, you know, this word design. So I come mm. from a design background, like a, a traditional graphic design background as well. Um, but in what does, I mean, what does design actually mean? Because it, it doesn't just mean painting pretty pictures or, you know, designing something on Photoshop. This is, this is a super interesting question, right? Because I call myself a designer, okay? But I can't draw or design in the way that you're talking about like I'm actually not a graphic designer my background is a is research and strategy okay but I call myself a designer because I'm involved in the process of designing products I work in a cross-discipline team I I have the um I, I I'm very fortunate to be able to work with people who can who are much better than I am at sort of like visualizing what this product or service will look like. My role in the design process is to provide the research and insights that we should use to make design decisions. And we do those things together. But, you know, I think the lines are so blurred now. Like I work with very strategic designers. I work with very strategic developers. Um, I work with designers who are developers. You know, like the lines are all blurred and that's why working in a team is is so powerful actually because it enables you to upskill and cross-skill, um, to hear other people's voices and opinions and it permits us to move away from that really like paternal design 
that we used to have, which is I'm a designer making design decisions on behalf of the end user. Now we've got lots of you know tools and methodologies inherited from sort of like human-centered design practices to help us move away from that and actually design something which is, um, well, yeah, hopefully delivers a well-being outcome. Exactly. And I think bringing, getting uh, the whole team involved in that design decision. So, yeah, maybe a developer or, um, you know, someone early even in, in the sales phase, you know, I think that it creates a better outcome. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's very, very powerful to have all of those minds in the room right from the get-go. I think, you know, especially probably developers, you know, would suffer the most from not being in the beginning I, I of the agree. process. And mm. I just, I gain so much value from having those brains right from the beginning. You just, you're dealing with problems much earlier on. You're not making assumptions about the way a product should be at a, at a, at a tech level. Um, it's, it's very powerful to have that whole machine sort of working together right yeah. from the beginning. And I think developers are inherently problems that own our problem solvers. That's what they do. And I think traditionally they've been looked at as sort of, well, maybe we get the devs in early so we can see constraint. But I think even more than that, they can actually you know, start looking at it, whatever the problem might be, just from a different angle. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, you know, they they are problem solvers, like you say. Um, and so having having that having that skill, having that talent, having and also having you know, someone to sort of like just interrogate design decisions from like a really different perspective. Yep. I mean, that's that's why diversity of thinking is so so critical. Yeah, you know? definitely. I read uh, the article you wrote about um, uh, service design on, I think, on Umbrella, but one thing that I've been talking about for a long time is, I suppose, user experience design not just having to be yeah, traditional sort of um, like an interactive design. The user experience flows from offline to online, back to offline. It is that whole sort of journey, however you take it. And looking at a product or a service with that sort of viewpoint, like the, the thing, the app or the website might not be the, the thing, right? Like it, it could be something after that or before that that actually kicks things off. So I think having that holistic approach is, is really important. Yeah, definitely. I, I just actually had a really interesting conversation with... Uh, a young man who came up to me after the talk I gave, he mm. said, um, "You know, I'm 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 building this app, and I think I've gone too hard on the empathy, and I need to I need to bring some business mindedness back in back into this. But like, can technology really replace humans? You know, like mm. can I mean, that's a whole can of worms. That's, that's more than a five-minute conversation. Yeah, and I sure. think he was kind of hoping that I would say, yeah, sure, like your app can, can, can solve that. But I do truly believe that, you know, there is a time and place for a human-based guidance relationship and technology, um, whilst exceptional, sometimes can't solve those problems the yeah. way that we want them to. So to your point about, you know, the service kind of dipping in and out and, you know, how we use those tools, it's like, yeah, don't be blindsided by the fact that, you know, people aren't using your piece of technology in a vacuum. The point of that piece of technology is that it should aid a person, it should help them, it should improve their well-being. Um, even if the direction that that piece of technology gives you is to go and see a human being 
you know, yeah. sometimes that is actually the best course of action. I'm chatting to Charlie Simpson from Bellroy next, yep. but um, I find that what they, you know, that the, they make wallets, right? But the, the, the experience that you get before you bought the wallet and after you bought the wallet makes the wallet 10 times better, you know, yeah. and, it's, and, it's, and it's just clever use of just customer, you know, old school customer service, really. Mm. So um, I've always loved how they do that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, <laughs> there's, you, you can't replace quality customer service. Like, you know, that we are humans, mm. you know. I, I, I do believe that a lot of the um, services and things that we see can be improved by technology. I obviously believe that. But I do think, um, you know, as human beings, we do crave interaction with other human beings. And automation has been a very good thing in some ways, but in other ways it has really obscured our control and it has really obscured our literacy and understanding of our decisions, you know? So I can, I can make a decision about, oh, like I might tap and go, for example, or I might, um, you know, make a few sort of like financial decisions over the course of the day but really have no clarity around the impact and consequences of those decisions until I like go and check into my bank account whereas in the past I just had a hundred dollars cash at the beginning of the day and I had 65 to end with and that was my financial situation and I knew where I sat so I think automation is really really great however the more we automate things, the more we have a responsibility as designers to ensure that we reinstate the control that we take away from people. And going back to the traditional sort of thought about, about wellness and mindfulness being next to that, it's interesting that, that mindfulness in the West anyway is becoming more and more popular as, as things get more automated and our lives become so, we're so distracted by all these shiny things around us. I think we're sort of craving that actual step back to think about what am I doing? Why am I, why am I doing these things all day? Because you, you can get just trapped in an automated kind of day, right? When you go to sleep and you're like, what did I do today? Yeah, absolutely. With, with, with very little consciousness to the decisions who, who, that you've made. Where is my data going? Yeah. Where, what, what, you know, and I think, I think people are sort of starting to wake up to, because, because all this happens so quickly and, and it's another long conversation, but you know, the last 15 years have been so, um, so transformational, I suppose, from a technological point of view, but I think we're sort of now going, right, well, how do, how do humans interact with that? And it'll be interesting to see what happens with AI and all the you know, exciting things happening in the future. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I watch that keenly and eagerly. Um, last question then, I suppose. We'll, we, we'll keep it positive. What excites you about the future? <laughs> For me, personally, what excites me is that I know that this is, this is going to sound a bit like mushy, <laughs> but I've actually found something in my life that gives me purpose and meaning. The future really excites me because I know that I can use my skills to keep doing and creating products and services that help people, you know, like that deliver some kind of, you know, well-being outcome. And that's, you know, like as a mother now as well, and, and, I, and I do have a, a younger daughter, um, so as a mother and a woman, that's really important to me as well to be able to tell my children that, you know, this is the work that I do and be proud of that 
and to also show them that that they can be part of that too. That's exciting though, isn't it? And yeah. I mean, it's exciting to, I suppose, look forward to the future and think, I have a place here where I can add value and hopefully help people. Yeah, it's like, it's like finding your home. That's awesome. Oh, I'm so happy that you found that. <laughs> um, if people want to find you online, where can they look? Oh, yeah. Um, LinkedIn, probably. Cool. Um, Laura Ryan. Um yeah, you probably don't really want to look elsewhere. It's just a lot of pictures of me and my kids. <laughs> no worries. Oh, enjoy the rest of Pause Fest. Yeah, great. So happy Thanks, to have you, you too. Awesome. Cheers. Fantastic. Cheers. Bye. Hey, everybody. Sam here again. Well, it was so lovely to have that very human conversation with Laura Ryan live from Pause Fest. We will be back at Pause Fest this year, bigger and better than ever. I think it's our sixth year at Pause Fest. We're super excited to be involved again. If you have not been to Pause Fest, you do not know what you're missing out on. Tickets are still available from pausefest.com.au. It is going to be at the Melbourne Convention Centre. And there are 25 days until the event. I'm just looking at the, the countdown timer. 25 days. So if you want to be in beautiful Melbourne in February and see some incredible speakers. Some of the speakers they've got lined up, we've got people from Atlassian, Slack, The Mill, Culture Amp, Up Banking. Dom Pim from Up Banking, he's the co-founder of Up, is incredible. Um, I spoke with him, not on the podcast, but uh, last year. I'm a big fan of everything they're doing. We've got people from NASA again, Google, Netflix, amongst others. Uh, one of the things that I actually always find at Pause Fest is that you know, you've got these big, big name companies but it's often um, you often go into talks with people that you may not have heard of the company and just get blown away by some of the incredible things that the humans out there are achieving and doing in the space so please please head to pausefest.com.au and check that out and we will be back next week with another conversation thanks so much for listening we'll see you then <laughs>